Throughout history, women have been objectified and hypersexualized. The woman experiences pressure to look perfect from her community, from her family, and from society at large. We operate under this paradigm that looks at all women, regardless of age, race, heritage, sexual orientation, and only perceives them through the lens of how attractive is she. Nobody seems to care about her professional accomplishments, her interests, what talents she possesses. In the end, it boils down to whether or not she fits a physical mold that we like. Many people like to blame social media for a lot of these issues, but it's worth noting that the hypersexualization of women has been present all throughout history. Before social media, we had television. Before television, print media. Before that, cave drawings. We agree that regardless of the media available, the value of women is often tied to the way that they look. Marketing, advertising, beauty, and even health is always positioned to emphasize that the value of a woman is derived from how she looks. Social media only serves as an additional platform for this, making the accessibility and distribution of content easier than it's ever been. Salam, listeners. I'm Amina. I'm Nidas. And this is Cafe Tanwir. Every recording, we start with a dua to set the intention that we're here to build knowledge and gain perspective. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa halul uqtatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Today, we have a panel of intelligent, amazing, and sophisticated women to help us unpack these issues. Noor Jabri graduated from the University of Chicago with a master's degree in urban education. She currently teaches middle school science in Chicago public schools. She is passionate about equity in education for all students, ensuring that we raise a generation of kids that are creative and civically engaged. She is an active member of the Chicago Teachers Union and is the union representative at her school. She is also involved in community organizations and programs such as SAMS and Coffee Talks. Anissa Patel is a registered dietitian. She graduated with her master's in nutrition from the University of Illinois at Chicago in 2018. She's received training in both the inpatient and outpatient settings and with patients who've had a wide variety of medical conditions. Currently, Anissa works at the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. You can follow Anissa on Instagram and her WordPress blog. Her handle is Halalthi Nutrition, where she shares recipes, discusses diet myths, and encourages a balanced no-diet nutrition philosophy. Our last guest is Momina Khan, who currently works in the audiovisual industry as well as art management. She received her bachelor's degree in cinema arts and sciences from Columbia College, Chicago, and has used archival sound and footage as a point of inspiration in her filmmaking. She curates her social media around these themes, along with personal interests, fashion, and pop culture. You can follow her on Instagram and Twitter, with her handles being at MominaZK. So normally we start with a more specific opening question, but I think given that our intro was so uh, long and kind of covered a lot of bases, we wanted to ask um, if anybody had any opening thoughts as we move forward with today's discussion. I think, honestly, we kind of have um, focused on beauty in general being such an important quality. You know, there are so many other things that you can bring to the table that are valuable, that have weight to them. But I do think that it, it really starts with trying to recognize that, you know, hypersexualization has always happened mostly at the hand of like, I mean, if not solely from like the, the perception of like the male gaze. There is like an overall accentuation on beauty in and of itself as like a quality to, to have that is deemed very highly uh, in our society. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you in, in that sense. I, I've lately, and I think this comes because I deal with a lot of like youth. I just, I've become very big on empowering women that like, you don't have to follow what everybody thinks men want. And for sometimes, at least in the younger ages, I think where early middle school, this I feel like does change as they mm -hmm. get older. Um, you know, it starts there. Oh, yeah. Middle school is such a brutal time. <laughs> and honestly, I do think um, like middle school is such like sensitive age yeah they're very formative years yeah and you grow up to be like so impacted by what you're told about yourself and that does come heavily from you know like the the people that are your superiors that you look up to the people that are in positions of authority yeah so i think there's like direct stuff which is like when we see adults who reinforce these negative attitudes and behaviors with the youth so like me and Momina, for example, went to the same middle school and we both encountered adults that were very much encouraging negative attitudes about body image. And these are teachers, you know, like they're supposed to be setting an example for, for us as like developing children. But more than that, I think there's like a deep psychological, like a lot of subconscious stuff goes on with men and women. Mm -hmm that kind of plays into this whole system. If someone right. brings up a guy, usually the first question is, well, what does he do for a living? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you hear about a girl being like cheated on or something like that, the typical responses are, you know, is she prettier than her? Or um, right. she's just a plain yeah. Jane. Why would anyone go for her? Why would he choose her over, you know, so-and-so? How many times have we heard comments like that? There's like something inherently fundamentally wrong with the way that we approach the way that we're taught to kind of um react yeah and the lens by which we see men and women mm -hmm. it's so different sure it's a part of being human to want to be beautiful uh -huh. but i think there's something wrong with the degree to which we've taken it yeah. and the fact that it's disproportionately more expected of women and women think more about it and women are pressured to be pretty versus men that's true mm -hmm. that i mean like it's hard to reconcile like that you know men aren't mm -hmm. really told that they have that standard to live up to um in the same way that we are and so yes you know like you can make the the case for like hey there's so many other parts of of who you are that need to be you know nourished beyond like your physical outward appearance um mm -hmm. yeah but at the same time, like, you're right. Everybody does want to be beautiful. And I think one of the things that is sort of happening right now is that there, there is kind of like a growing platform in my perception and people could easily disagree with this or make the case otherwise, but that there is kind of this platform that, you know, everything is beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, every difference, every, uh, everything that makes you think that this isn't this, this is kind of uh, a little bit divert deviant of what the normal standards are in reality I believe that beauty as like a standard should be erased because of the fact that you know there's everything is beautiful you know everybody is beautiful everybody yeah. is whatever you're trying to achieve maybe maybe you feel like you're falling short but even like you know you'll see I, I, and because I I'm specifically talking about social media today that on social media at least in my opinion I do feel like there is a platform given to some people who do have very unique you know characteristics unique traits that kind of they 
they use that as a way to, you know, empower themselves to say that, yeah, I, I know growing up, um, this was something about me that I was really hyper-conscious about, but now I'm using it as a way to express myself, empower myself, like, you know, put myself on, on display as like, you know, this is who, this is who I am. Um, and I think you get a lot of models now that have Vitilio right. that are like, which is something that would not be heard of like 10 years ago. You would not have models who, who are so open. Like, so right. in that regard, I do think that there needs to be more accepting or more of an embrace of like how, you know, you see yourself uh, and your differences, the things that make you unique as being beautiful. Um, and maybe that kind of can help individuals work toward getting to that mentality that, you know, I'm beautiful, but that's not the most important thing about me. Oh, I, I think uh, I see what you're saying. So you mean like, so if we get to a point where we look at everybody like they're beautiful, then uh, we won't be thinking about being beautiful or beauty as much because it yeah. will, we'll start focusing on other things because Right. It won't right. be a question mark anymore. Or put, make everyone measure up to that. Anissa, you work with eating disorders. Um, how do you approach body image? Well, in the eating disorder world, you only get the patients who are focused on like their body image. So I guess you have like a, lim- like a, like a, a limited, a limited sample, sample size. Yeah. But um, yeah, like that's kind of the same thing as health professionals we try to promote or as dietitians where there is like no one size that's healthy. I mean, we, we don't talk about it in terms of beautiful, but we're like, there's no one size that's healthy, right? You can't expect to mold your body into like whatever shape and size that you want. And um, and like being skinny or like your body shape and size isn't indicative of health either. And so like skinny doesn't always mean healthy. And so um we usually try to encourage people to focus on just healthy life, like implementing healthy lifestyles. And if, if you're a person who is meant to lose weight, like if you're, then you will, like if you're, if you're meant to lose weight, you'll lose weight. And if not, you're, if you're already at a healthy weight, you might not lose weight by implementing healthy lifestyles, but you'll still see like healthy outcomes, right? You'll have more energy, you'll have increased endurance and like healthy blood results and stuff. So um, yeah, there, we do try to encourage like, there's no like one size that everyone needs to be. You said something really interesting. Um, you said that in the nutrition world, we don't say the word beautiful. Yeah. We say healthy. That's something that goes part of your training, Anissa? I mean, it's just, I've just something I've noticed. Like you don't really talk about like, well, this is what's beautiful. Cause like are, are people who, who come in with eating disorders, because from what I understand, it's a little bit more nuanced. Are they usually coming in because they say, well, I don't feel beautiful or is there an underlying issue that like that isn't quite necessarily as physical as it is like psychological. I know they both go hand in hand, but I think that's, it's a definitely a part of it that they don't feel beautiful. And like, for example, um, I when I was doing my internship at, at an eating disorder facility, um, there was, there was a girl who, who she was already really tiny and she was like, she was a dancer and um, like, she she for her gaining weight was so scary because she was like she's like she's like I don't understand like how how can I be a dancer and be bigger and like and her and like her mom was a part of it too where she like her mom kind of would encourage her to lose weight and like she just didn't see herself as being pretty if she was bigger or being even able to be a dancer if she was bigger yeah so I have known people that are in similar situations 
um, they're in dance or some competitive sport or modeling or whatever, something like that. I, I don't mean to generalize, yeah. but the people that I, I have met have been like, um, like admittedly fat phobic, you know, they're not just afraid of gaining weight themselves, but they're also very disturbed by others being overweight. Yeah. Um, and these attitudes yeah. are very much perpetuated by the yeah. elders in their group. So like that mm. could have been a coach that gets upset if they saw you with a treat or makes comments about the way you look in your leotard, you know, things like that. Despite the fact that these girls were very often underweight. Mm. I mean, I quickly want to, you mentioned something about like this idea of beauty and, and one thing I've noticed, and I think uh, part of working in um, diverse communities and ethnically diverse communities is you notice this idea of what is beauty. And, you know, you said like women want to describe themselves as beautiful. They want to be beautiful. And I think there's been this over um, stepping of Western culture to define beauty. Um, and so one of the things I've noticed that with like my students is although like, um, like you were saying that like um, social media has done a better job of like giving people um, places to, you know, showcase their uniqueness um, in terms of, you know, whatever they feel like is unique about themselves, whether it's personality, whether it's their body image, but there is still this overarching, like you see this idea of like, you know, they're, you know, whether it's like, you know, perfecting, getting clear, perfect skin, or whether it's like um, making sure they have no hair or, you know, this like straightening their hair. So like, even in this, you know, they might have at some points like accepted, like, yes, body types can look whatever they want. I still mm -hmm. feel like this concept of beauty um, is, is, you know, really, really heavily pushed to look a certain way. Yeah. I have had friends tell me like straight up Instagram makes me want to get a nose job because so many people, like, it's just so common. Like you do have influencers who models who are doing exceptionally well, who were found through Instagram. And they also have, you know, um, a lot of any sort of like beauty modification done to that you know really affects people a lot and it's kind of scary like in that regard that you do see a lot of uh accessibility to those things it's very alarming um i as much as i do think that social media can be empowering it just as easily can be toxic um yeah. it is a, that double-edged sword in my opinion yeah your kids are pretty young nude mm -hmm. and um like we've been saying these are very formative years I feel like growing up being overstimulated by messages that tell you, first of all, beauty is how you measure a girl's value, and then second, let me tell you what beauty is, is just so problematic. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of our beauty standards have been set by, okay, this is me getting like kind of political, but like imperial powers, for example, who established authority over nations, mm. nude students and all children may feel inadequate or adopt toxic attitudes about their appearance based on things that don't matter. There's no reason why someone who looks white European or African or Asian or Latino or Arab or mm. whatever, there's no reason why they all, why all of the above can be considered attractive. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that you did make it political, though, because it absolutely is. Like, I do believe that there are features that are accentuated in in terms of that, that uh, I guess, idea of this is what beautiful is, under that definition. Um, and it is very harmful. Like, and I, I watch a lot of shows from a lot of parts of the world. I do see that 
it is also a particularly like American kind of phenomenon to look at very specific types of women and deem them as specifically like this is what the highest standard of beauty. I think it also just depends, like, like kind of to your point, Edas, and then also Momona is like that history is so deeply rooted in people's ideas. For instance, like we know in the East and in parts of Asia, like being fair skinned has such like rich like roots with you know colonial uh, imperialism. Um, we know that right off the bat. And, you know, it has to do with things like class structure. Um, and sometimes it's even in the case of things that were like there beforehand too, like the caste system, for, for example. So I would say that it's almost like the Western uh, concept of beauty has impacted the East in ways that they're still dealing with. Whereas most, from my perception of like at least pop culture, um, most of the Western you know, society has kind of started on the pathway of evolving past that, at least on that public, like, mass consumer level. But is that even better? Like, does that really solve the problem? That's what I was wondering. Like, is that enough? Like, No, I mean... Like, you see a lot of, um, like, diverse body shapes and types and diverse forms of beauty on television, but how much is that really affecting mm-hmm. the general public? And also, what are we going to do to make sure that, you know, the narrative is about more than just her appearance. Mm-hmm. I mean, even this conversation, look at the direction it took. It, mm-hmm. it went to talking about the variance in countries' beauty standards for women. Mm-hmm. We are still operating under this lens of, yeah, yeah. let's talk about women's looks. Mm-hmm. I don't know, am I making sense? Yeah. yeah. We're still focusing on how women look and... Yeah not about like any other quality anything else yeah Yeah. um i mean i'm gonna talk about two things i want to point out that like kind of working in diverse schools and and over a period of time you notice that the socioeconomic of the students in the school building makes a difference um i think when women can purchase foundations and concealers and the whole nine yards and things like that you notice that there is more um stress or more pressure to look a certain way and to meet that high that new high level of beauty um and i think coming from school and a lot of the schools i do work with and currently i'm working with where it's just like you got to look the way you look like your parents are not gonna you know they're your parents are either immigrants or don't have the money so they're not gonna sit there and spend 10 12 you know even 10 dollars on a foundation is a lot for some of these families right like there's not going to they're not going to go through that so i do see there is a difference in 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 that um, and then the difference in pressure of what people define beauty. And I see it in the guys as well. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes your environment and what you surround yourself with and like the groups and cliques around you makes a big difference. And I've seen that with students, which is, I think why in middle school, I see like the guys and girls are a lot more accepting of each other and how they look and a lot of more natural beauty. I mean, of course Mm -hmm. there's pressures, um, but as they transition to high school, you see that, that, influence because it widens the school is bigger there's a lot more students you see like a, a greater variety of economic status and, and people able to buy things that that really begins to shift and like you know women see more pressure um to to look like that new high beauty of standard that's been advertised everywhere not only on social media i mean um the beauty industry is a 500 billion dollar industry they spend you know, $20 billion advertising, right? So 
it's going to impact you. So from your experience, would you say that um, this pattern of fixating on girls' looks, when it starts creeping in, do you notice it has more to do with a particular age or does it have more to do with socioeconomic status? I think it could start as young as elementary school, but like I said, my middle school students do not have access to that. The most they do is put a filter. I think depending on where you grow up and oh. your environment, I think it sets on, you know, earlier or later. That's, I feel like that's a very um, important point to make. And, and you made a very like interesting observation as well in terms of how um, you see that a little bit more um, take place with like high school students when they're making that transition when, and when in essence the society around them kind of grows. Um, and to me, that almost like makes me think that perhaps beauty in a way, and then although it is kind of like sort of manifested um, specifically through women, um, I almost feel like beauty is very much one of those like social outcomes that happens as a result of us being predominantly social creatures. Beauty tends to move around certain like objects or ideals. So for instance, the pursuit of money, um, the pursuit of success, the pursuit of beauty. It seems to be, even though it does manifest in like very, very different ways, a very, there's a common theme here. There's a common trend. We kind of tend to sort of circulate around one kind of ideal, even though that ideal differs from like civilization to culture. Even from a very early age, because we are social creatures, we tend to kind of like look around us and try to like adopt what the um, like dominating kind of like factor to be accepted right like part of being social creatures wanting to be accepted exactly and it almost makes me feel like sometimes beauty isn't about isn't about like do I meet the standard but in a sense like it's almost like am I acceptable as a person am I like you know am I it's not even just like I need to be beautiful it's like I need to be accepted okay so I guess I have a follow-up question to that then so I agree with you. As humans, we're social creatures and we need acceptance. And I think most psychologists, anthropologists, experts in the field will agree. Mm-hmm. But my question now is, do you think it was inevitable for us as a society to have chosen physical or external appearance as the primary indicator of acceptability in women? Or could we have chosen something else? And can we change it? Because, I mean, yeah, acceptance and perception is huge, right? So, like, studies show that a woman is more likely to be noticed for not smiling in the workplace than men are. The way a woman dresses or her perceived level of attractiveness will dictate the trajectory of her career, social acceptance, and like other things like that. But could we accept women for other things? Yeah, and what are what are some things that you? I mean, obviously, we're not here to solve the world's problems. Right? I, mean, I, I kind of am. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a clear discrepancy regarding whose primary value is based on external appearance and the opportunities allotted based on that alone. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a factor for men. It is a factor for men, but it's not the primary factor. Men are valued based on other things. Why can't women be valued based on other things too? One thing that I did want to say is that I think part of it is like it interesting to, to that ties into your question is the fact that like men also tend to have more confidence. Right. We're, like we're told like, oh, attractive people and getting get, getting more things because they're so confident. Um, and like, if we're talking about standards of like image and, and beauty, and there are men who don't fit in the male standard of beauty who still have a lot of confidence. Like, yeah. You know, like that's not, 
a, 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 per, a point of competence for them. It, it doesn't have to be. They have so many other things that they, that are given merit because of, you know, like beyond that. But as a woman, if you're not beautiful- It'll like count against you almost if you're not. Yes. I do think it does go down to the point of like positive and negative reinforcement. Women are like usually- told to do what to fulfill certain expectations through negative reinforcement men tend to be like if they accomplish something (laughs) so small (laughs) like they tend to get a huge pat on the back and when women accomplish the same thing or oftentimes like even greater things they're not really told like you did a good job they were like you did the bare minimum of what you were expected to do and now I need you to do more it happens in so many different like spheres like it happens like you know maybe in a like familial dynamic it happens at schools like you know Lila's we were talking about middle school let's (laughs) having that having the like appearance aspect was one thing the 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 enforcing like a body image is one thing but then on top of that I have seen boys will be boys like played out in real time of like you know a teacher laughing you know at something that a kid has done because it's like kind of funny and like lighthearted and like the whole class kind of thinks it's like goofy even though it's kind of inappropriate but if a girl does it then she's just trying to get attention yeah if she does it then it's just like how why would you say that like you need to leave the classroom like and it just kind of like exacerbates like any sort of level of of you know tapping into you know like kids are kids like they're gonna do stupid things mm-hmm. yet there's more of a leniency like for men to do those things because from the get-go like as children they're kind of you know, reinforced to do that because people think it's funny or it's like not a big deal. And, you know, if they do, like they have accomplished something, if they, that, if they have actually done the bare minimum, then it's like, oh, you know, like that's good for you. You're, you're exceeding expectations. Um, And that's just not the case for women. Yeah. I do want to say like, I I think with more conscious disciplining and things like that, and even more conscious teachers of how our behavior and our choices impact our students in the classroom yeah. there has been a, a shift in that and I think one of the things I teach and I tell the students this notion of like kids will be kids is just you and reinforcing the kids behavior if you treat a kid like an adult they act like an adult you treat a kid with responsibility your student starts acting with responsibility so this kind of you know it gave me once once I got into the classroom and you know after a couple of years it gave me hope kids will do what you teach them you teach them to take responsibility, they'll take responsibility. You teach them to complement each other, they'll complement each other. It really, that's why I, I believe like being a teacher is so powerful because, Absolutely. you know, we, it's not like all hope is lost and boys will be boys mm-hmm. and, you know, this high standard of social media and mm-hmm. beauty is, you know, in doomsday type mm-hmm. of situation. It is really like conscious people having conversations with students and, and with their mm-hmm. peers and, 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 you know, the youth and whatnot. And, and opening up and teaching them do this and not that. I mean, I have seen a shift, you know, um, it's slow, but I think it, it is happening. I think I feel like, yeah, I feel like we had it a lot worse in middle school, which is why you're remembering your middle school days. I mean, don't get me wrong. Middle mm-hmm. school is still like a super harsh, hard time to feel accepted and, and want to be accepted by your peers. Um, but I genuinely believe like, what parents, teachers, leaders, and role models cultivate. And if that's what's, you know, 
the youth are being are seeing that's what they learn so, uh, you know this nature versus nurture type of thing like you know us redirecting and teaching them proper behavior i think is important and that goes back to our beauty conversation as well like teaching not just teaching your females like your daughters or your um you know, your, your patients or your students, what female beauty is, but even teaching males, absolutely. What is female beauty? You know, like raising boys to have this different mindset is not, yeah. Like, Hey, a woman is beautiful when she's super smart. That's important. So I I do feel like there is hope. There is like this, we can still redirect and and, and reteach and re-influence this positive behavior. Yeah. I will say that my friends that are teachers are way better about this. So I, I definitely agree with Noor. I, I also am seeing a shift. That's such a great thing here, honestly. What a nice note <laughs> with the whole beauty um, topic that like one of the things we can do was like, you know, maybe be comfortable yeah. in our own skin and like, right. for example, be comfortable going to work without makeup. Why is it that we always have to, you know, put a face on when you go to work and like men don't have to, mm-hmm. don't have that much pressure to look good and to, you know, on just how they dress or if we're the only ones who are concerned with like our face right and so if and so like if we made an effort to just be comfortable in our own skin and then um you know and just like go to work or if you're an influencer Mm -hmm. then maybe like put yourself more on on the camera Mm -hmm. without makeup on well some of the like there's negative impacts to that right like if maybe if you don't look a certain way you might not get promoted or you might not get a certain job yeah the thing is a lot of this stuff is subconscious. There are not that many people, I hope, who are explicitly saying, you know, I'm not going to hire this woman or promote her or be her friend because I don't think she's attractive. But it's still a factor that plays a significant role in making these decisions. Many people don't recognize it's playing a role. Like, right, as opposed to saying, I don't think she's that attractive, you're thinking, I don't think she's exuding that much confidence. Yeah, that's one way it can manifest. Or it might not even register at all. You might not even mm-hmm. be thinking about her appearance or her demeanor in that way at all. It might have come from you cultivating a better relationship with her. But why did you cultivate a better relationship with her? This isn't even this isn't even about romance. A boss can promote someone and that decision can have been made subconsciously based on looks without it having to do with romance or this sort of secret desire to pursue her. Even the forming of platonic relationships is largely influenced by whether or not you think she's pretty. If you like looking at her, you're more likely to want to be her friend. Uh Mm. And all of this stuff is going to come into play. You want to come in and cause a paradigm shift and say, F beauty standards, and try to deconstruct this machine? You're probably also going to be a martyr. You will suffer and lose opportunities. You will not have as many friends. You will not be accepted. Maybe... Maybe we just need to step up and kind of like take that, like, you know. Right, like redefine it. Yeah, redefine it. Like, as being like, this should not be a standard for our success. Yeah. So yeah, we might be martyrs in this war. I mean, there's always kind of pioneers of a movement. And I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, the cogs are already turning in that direction to some degree. We're just, I feel like in essence, just meeting like resistance to that, which is always going to be the case for any kind of movement ever. Especially too, because so many people have so many different opinions about what constitutes freeing yourself from these constraints. Yeah. Like, for example, there are movements that advocate for like 
wearing less clothing or going topless for mm -hmm. protest and they believe it's a form of empowerment right. it's a feminist protest some people argue that being open about sexual promiscuity is female empowerment whereas on the other end which tends to be where the majority of practicing muslims are there's this overemphasis of physical or external modesty to combat the objectification of women and it's this idea that the lack of physical modesty is the reason for the objectification of women and the more externally modest we are the less likely that there will be this hyper focus on women's looks and to be honest my view is that regardless of which side um, of the argument you're on the focus is still not shifting from a woman's appearance yeah. so i don't think that conversation is enough and i think it's way overplayed women who dress quote unquote modestly think about their looks just as much as those who don't there's still mm -hmm. this hyper-awareness of the outfits you've chosen, the colors, the fabrics, the way everything fits. Men are not thinking about this stuff as often as women are. At this point, we're still not addressing the discrepancy. I personally believe that modesty in Islam has so many layers to it versus like, we need to subvert the male gaze. I don't think it is that simple. I, I think that that's definitely like, there's a lot about your, the stress on your inner your inner beauty um, that I think comes with modesty um, that isn't talked about a lot, which is the whole issue at hand here. Right, exactly, yeah. In reality, I believe hypersexualization will happen no matter what. Modesty I, is not, in my opinion, the solution to that. I think it's part of the solution, not the only Yeah, so I think external modesty is important and it's part of an entire system of modesty that Islam endorses, which is supposed to emphasize an internal beauty, like what Momino was saying. Like I said earlier, I definitely think external modesty is overplayed um, as a solution. I think it's I think it's overemphasis as the solution is kind of reductive of the problem itself. You know, um, I, I used to be somebody who did not care very much about what I wore, and eventually that changed, and I made a conscious decision to dress more modestly. And I will say that wearing loose clothing, long clothing, whatever, it did do wonders for my internal well-being. I will not downplay that. But it's not like dressing modestly made me suddenly stop thinking about how I look, and it's not like I thought about it less often or as often as men do. It was a lot more often than men do. Mm -hmm. There are so many other things that are at play in the situation. Like what? What are some other the other things that are at play? Because I feel like I might need to poke this. Right, yeah. I like that. Um, so, like, I'm still more likely than men to try and get nicer clothes, right? You know, or to think about what I'm wearing. This goes back to your comment about the beauty industry. Um, I mean, it's not like dressing modestly meant I suddenly stopped making an effort, right? That, like, there's a fashion to modesty. And who's expected to make that effort? You know, disproportionately more than the other. It's just a switch from what you're wearing, but there's no change in the amount of thought that goes into it or the amount which it matters to you. Like, okay, I dress modestly now, but I'm still thinking about what sweater I'm going to wear tomorrow. I'm still thinking about whether or not I'm in the mood to put makeup on. Right. I'm still thinking about right. if my under eyes are dark because I haven't gotten enough sleep and I don't want people to see me with dark under eyes. You know, like, your looks are still very important as a woman, regardless of what clothing you are wearing. And it's not like I got any less attention or comments from people. People still cared about what I look like because I'm a woman and it doesn't matter if I'm clothed or not. They're still going to make comments and have thoughts about my appearance. Mm -hmm. And it would be so reductive to just 
point to some long-sleeved mm. cardigans and be like, hey, look, these will stop the objectification of women. Men and women will be equal. I want to go back and ask you, well, so kind of going through that transition, do mm. you feel like, so you were saying like, oh, I had to sit there and pick and choose like outfits and choose, am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? Am I going to do that? Am I going to wear it? Do you feel mm. like you feel this way because society told you to feel this way? Or do you feel like it's more intrinsic? Yeah, to, no, to be honest, I feel like we've been psychologically groomed, you know, if it, I feel like if it were intrinsic, then, I don't know, I feel like men would be just as, it would be just as much as an emphasis. Are you them. suggesting that men are no. not? Because I feel like there is a culture sure. where now men do. Right. I don't think universally men don't care or that there is a complete lack of value in the male appearance. But who is more likely yeah. to need to be considered attractive in order to have some social yeah. or professional acceptance or success? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, st like, just looking at statistics and, and the amount of money women spend on clothing and, and um, you know, hair and, and, and face makeup and, and the beauty industry, like, really attests to... Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. The question is then, why is so much marketing geared towards women? Yeah, what's, like, the ideology of this imbalance and what are the barriers to fixing it? Or what yeah. barriers and what pressures? Um, I, I kind of, I kind of do want to talk about how social media plays a role in all of this. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times social media is blamed. I think that social media is a byproduct. I think that people, like I, I like I said, uh, I do think people have always cared so much about appearance. That's always been the case. Um, social media is just the medium now, uh, that to which they choose to do it. I think the reason why social media gets a bad rap. And I'm not saying that this isn't rightly so. Um, it's because it's so accessible. You do not have to be paying anything to have access mm -hmm. to it. You don't have to be, you know, uh, like exclusive to have, like you can be, um, you know, Instagram famous and come from a working class family. It's not like it's meant for a niche group. It's meant for everybody. Now, that being said, one thing that I want to stress it's hard to like not look at not second guess yourself all the time if i'm posting a picture of myself and I, like having to think about every single layer of like well i wonder how this will be perceived i wonder if someone will you know like you know do something with this photo there are creeps on the internet <laughs> you know like all this stuff that you think about it's just it is very very you know it's not great for the for your well-being when I go on a platform that I have a predominantly female followers, predominantly women who engage mm -hmm. and interact, I think it would still happen regardless of how modestly I was dressing. Right. I mean, like, well, that would be akin to saying, you know, women that wear niqab don't get raped, which is obviously ridiculous because they do. Exactly, which they do. I think a lot of that behavior comes from a multitude of things. It is asserting a level of power like misogyny is a lot like that you should never get like uh somebody to direct that to you as like well why were you like i mean look at what did you what are you wearing you know like well what were you doing that led up to this moment if you go straight to um saying holding people accountable regardless of what the incentive is individuals aren't being held accountable for saying and doing inappropriate things as a reaction to what they see. Because at the end of the day, you can't control what you're intaking. 
all you can control is how you choose to react to it. The questions arising around what behavior resulted in somebody's uh, response is the very reinforcement that they need to continue responding that way, no matter what. Yeah, so, so I think that this is something very noteworthy. Um, very often, whenever this type of conversation comes up, we tend to discuss modesty, and a lot of times it gets into the whole, well, what was she wearing territory. But, mm. you know, um, as you said, misogyny is misogyny, right? So regardless of what you're wearing, you are going to be a target just because you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By that sheer fact alone. And I think that a lot of that, I mean, my theory anyway, um, just like from what I've understood from context and stuff, it, it, it seems to feed into that idea of what we do teach mm -hmm. men is like excusable behavior. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I think it kind of feeds into that, unfortunately, because when we are um, from a societal level, systematically kind of just like objectifying women, um, which is again, like, I think we're, we are, we are covering ground against that, but at the same time, it's, we're working against something that has been in place for a very, very, very long time. Thousands of years. Right. Anissa, um, you have two accounts. You have your private account and your public account, and you've, um, mm -hmm. made in, made a conscious decision not to show, um, human faces on your public account. Can you, um, elaborate on, on that? Well, one thing, it's my, my whole account is food and nutrition. So I want the focus of it to be food and nutrition and not like me. Um, and like, I want whatever followers and likes and comments I get to be generated by the con like by the food pictures, right? And not pictures of myself. So that's one thing. And then second, because like, like I know myself and like, I know that I could fall into this like toxic social media environment. And I, and I feel like if, if I were to start posting pictures of myself cooking or whatever, like, I know I'll, there'll be pressure to like, okay, I'm gonna have to do my makeup and I have to look a certain way. And I'm just going to start putting more thought and effort into how I look. That the focus reshifts from like, well, now at one point I was focusing so much on like the meals that I'm yeah. preparing for, for my feed to like, yeah. oh, well now I want to look good. And like, I don't know if I should use this video that I edited because I don't know if I look good. Right. And, and even though I spent so much time on this recipe. Yeah, absolutely. So there's that. And then like, and then also like, and then you post up the picture and then you get all this feedback right? and negative comments always hurt, but then even positive comments is like, like, oh, he looks so pretty or whatever. It still reinforces this like value in how I look. And I don't want to be where I start, like, it feeds into my own vanity. But I know that a lot of people um, believe, like, well, if someone's giving me diet tips, I want to know what they look like, you know? Mm. A lot of health and wellness blogs will show the girl working out or the girl with her bowl of food, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of times the consumer's thinking, like, If I eat this, I'm gonna look like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna look like that, exactly. And I'm gonna be tan like that. Yep. And my outfit's <laughs> gonna look like that. Exactly. You know, you make these really irrational conclusions. Yeah. That's the kind of um, thought process that, that I'm like working against. So, so I, because I'm trying to promote like body positivity, and there is no like one size that's healthy. So, if people are liking my page and like and following me because I look a certain way, then it's not really promoting what I believe. And so, I feel like I wouldn't be true to myself, and that's not like the kind of blog that I want to run. I don't know if those are the kind of people that you're trying to market towards. You know, like clearly they're incentivized by something else. They want it to be purely about like their, their physical, uh, 
And I think that Nisa's page is about like, no, what's going inside? You know, what are you doing to cleanse yourself on the, like your physical appearance, this, that's not really one of the factors in this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about what, what you're consuming. Um. Um. Uh, okay, so because you know how you're always talking about like you're always like second guessing about what you put up and like there's a lot of pressure for every post, right? Mm-hmm. That you put up and there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Do you feel like that sort of kind of is a har- isn't that kind of harmful in a way the amount of attention you have to put into your pictures? Like it kind of reinforces this whole like focus on appearance and like that's why I was thinking social media. I don't think is solely responsible for the hypersexualization of women, but I feel like it plays a huge part like it, it, it exacerbates the situation because like you're saying everyone has access to it so we're constantly if you're if you're on the receiving end of it you're you're constantly exposed to all this information about how you know how people look how you should look and and if you're the one posting then you're always also thinking about that like how I look and like yes you're right it is harmful I, I guess what I'm trying to say is in order to stop the hypersexualization of myself, why does that start with me? Like, why do I have to be the one that is responsible for, for halting somebody else's behavior when I am enjoying a level of that? I'm a video editor. And yes, I do like po- posting a picture of myself, whether it's the composition of the photo or simply because I just like this picture of myself. Yeah, but, but that's the whole issue, right? The whole issue is, well, well, why? Why is that? Well, why what? So I, I think a lot of the points you're, that you brought up regarding victim blaming are valid. They, they are. They are valid. But, like, I also think we need to start looking at how this system manifests within us. Um, objectifying women, hypersexualizing women, valuing women primarily based on appearance, it's more than just harassment. The question at this point is not... Was it okay for a man to send her an unwarranted, dirty DM? The answer to that question is no, period. But now the question is, in a society that values us primarily based on our physical appearance, and we're saying we want more, we deserve more, why are we still posting pictures of ourselves, wanting, desperately wanting people to to find us pretty? So I kind of want to emphasize that this applies to all of us. The system is pervasive and manifests in very different ways. And I mean, I'm just trying to figure out at what point our behavior is fine and um, it's not a part of the system and at what point we've crossed the line into problematic or complicit. And I just feel like we need to start asking ourselves these uncomfortable questions. Well, I don't know. Am Am I making sense? I see it. I think where I want to draw the distinction is two separate points. I think there's a difference between showing a nice moment where you look put together and then making your life seem this way, right? Where there's no more that authenticness, where you look flawless every day, right? Where every time you post a picture, it seems like you have zero imperfections. And I think for me, that's where social Mm -hmm. media begins to take a toll on the youth and on adults, right? So there's, there's, you know, of course, it's always wrong when when a woman posts a picture yeah. and, and males or even females, you know, just saying negative things is never right, period, no matter what you're posting. Um, but I think this, there's a difference with social media influencers. Um, I think showing an individual moment where you look nice, which is, I think, what your average social media user does versus where you depict a whole nother 
image of yourself. I see a lot of social media influencers, the lighting is amazing and on point. They have their makeup done all the time. Um, anytime they took posting, you know, their house, their clothing, their whatever, every photo they take, just a branding is very intentional. It's very like, I'm trying to look something I'm trying to, you know, you're trying to portray an image. And I think that's where it really begins to um, eat at the youth and deteriorate uh, this authentic, this natural beauty. And now they're like, the level of beauty is this high, right? There's not a single blemish on her face, right? I think that's beginning to break. I think you are starting to see um, more users like be like, oh, this is me without makeup, even though sometimes there's still a little filter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask Anisha about like, you know, um, if you feel like, you know, through the clients that you see, if that begins to like eat at them. Um, yeah. Do they ever talk to you about like social media and like, yeah, or, or anything like that? Yeah, I'm wondering like what the role social media plays in like your day to day. Honestly, I haven't had, I haven't had that conversation. Like, I don't see how it wouldn't. When people ask you about uh, nutrition advice, are they usually asking about weight loss or getting healthy? Weight loss, usually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I, I think that says a lot. And it's it's usually women, right? Yeah, yeah. So I actually did know um, a decent amount of people when I was in middle school and high school and I, that had, um, um, you know, eating disorders. And I, I will say that social media and blogs played a very big role in disordered eating patterns. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, this is my anecdotal experience. Um, I don't, I don't have like actual data, but I, I will say that um, like these young ladies would look at and share um, pictures of women who looked seemingly perfect, you know, like famous people like models and actresses, mm -hmm. and they would look at these images and starve themselves or make themselves throw up or develop some sort of disordered eating pattern. Um, so like I know these days with social media, it's a, it's a little different because the person in the picture has a lot more agency in how um, the picture looks when it's mm -hmm. posted. But you know, at the time, um, those famous women would come out and say, look, that wasn't even really me, it was edited. Because the industry had access to this special software that we, like regular people, really didn't have until now. That's what, that was, yeah, that was my second point. Like, I think when we were younger and growing up, although it, it was pretty bad for us and it was, uh, you know, we were like hypersexualized and told to look a certain way and be a certain way. I think at a certain level, we understood this was a magazine, this was a photo shoot, this got photoshopped and i think what makes social media so hard is that you think these are everyday people like i could be this person i never look at bella hadid and be like i'm gonna be a bella hadid i'm just yeah. you know like i understand that models like there's a reason you're a model you we know you get cosmetic surgery blah 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 like there's a we're more conscious of it i think what what i see eating at my students and with the social media is they think because this is an average person and as you mentioned anybody can become insta famous right it, it, it puts this extra pressure of i could be like this so why am i not all the social media influencers out there that you know show up in your search or that show up in your uh, feed Yourself. just showing you that like hey i'm an everyday person you know here's me in my house here's me casa you know look at me cooking mm -hmm. and i look flawless i just woke up like this that's and, a really and, good and, point and for yeah me, it's like my students point that out and be like they're like miss jabri I don't look like that in the morning, but she does, right? And, and that's my, you know, she's my age, you know, she's my ethnicity, right? Like, so I think this is why like social media for me has become such a- um, Problematic. You know, like, 
Well, it could be, yeah, well, it can be positive. It's just, it's, you know, I've succumbed to it. Yeah, join the club. I think, I think a lot of us have. No joke, you know, like. Right. To your point, um, I, I mean, I come from a marketing background. I worked specifically in social media marketing. And so what I can tell you is from a, from an advertising marketing point of view, those people have become um, in recent years, the kind of, uh, they've tapped into that frontier as the format of advertising. And it's almost like you have a constant circle of reinforcement both from the user individually Mm -hmm. and both from the companies that are tapping those individuals to kind of um, help advertise their product, to help advertise a lifestyle or a service. I was just kind of curious if gender ever does play a role in terms of what you're kind of trained to do. Um, Well, we definitely see more like focus on like diet and body image in females. There's more females that get admitted for eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So have you ever had a male patient? Um, there, there are, there's one, but like, I'm not like, there's one, (laughs) but but it's very, it's very, it's rare. It is very rare. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like two or three percent. Yeah. Nora, I'm kind of wondering, um, have you seen like in your students, a kind of trend towards like amongst your like male students, sort of like that, like kind of trying to attain that image? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I coached, um, seventh and eighth grade boys basketball this year. So cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's hard to have a conversation about men when there isn't a male in the, in, the, in the sphere to discuss it. But from the students I have seen, I mean, I definitely think it's not as a problem, but there is a sense to be fit, to be athletic, uh, to build, right? Like, oh, I could do more push-ups than you, right? Like, so there, you know, I'm more fit. Here's my six pack, you know, where's yours? You know, you got six rolls. You hear these comments a lot. I guess they do experience this to a certain Yeah, degree. no, I don't yeah. think that this is, uh, like, universally, boys are not, you know, affected by this. But yeah, no, um, you also brought up another really good point. Um, you know, we tend to fat shame others in the name of health, when I think we all know the motivation is not health. I mean, our history shows us that. There were periods of time when obesity was on trend. The fatter you were, the more attractive society saw you. Many varying beauty standards. But what's the one thing we all have in common? We're willing to do dangerous things to achieve those standards. We bully people in the name of health, but it's in the name of criticizing them for not fitting the beauty standard by which you abide. Mm-hmm. Anissa, I'm very curious to know then, um, do people come to you from that point of view? Do you feel like they use a lot of that rhetoric where it's like, it, I thought something that you said that was very interesting um, was about that girl who was like a dancer and she was like well I'm not a dancer if I'm slightly overweight like that's just it you know like it has a lot to do with like personal identity I mean and this is a bit of a, an assumption on my part but um, from from how you described it it feels like she predominantly um, identified as being a dancer you know if that's so intrinsic to her identity it almost does like feed into that idea of like your your humanity is derived from the fact that you that you're thin um, and I'm just wondering if you do see that kind of uh, language um, or like how you, what you guys do to yeah, kind of like, like sort of combat that. Like, it, I guess acceptability is always a part of it, right? Like he's usually like wanting to be part of like a, like a, your friend group is, is they're all like, they're trying to, everyone's trying to be skinny and thin or, or just like in your family too, maybe like there's a lot of times there's like sibling, like rivalry, I guess like one sibling's 
you know, maybe thinner than another. So like, it's just, there's always that factor of wanting to be accepted and part of a group. Um, and like, well, one of the things we do is like, usually we'll counsel like the family as well, along with the client. So like everybody's on the same page. So like, we'll have like the, the mom and the dad and the siblings come in and like the separate sessions. And sometimes the client will be with their family. And so, and then like yeah. they have a toxic friend group, then I guess sort of like encouraging them to maybe look outside their circle speaking of toxic group i think you bring up a, a good point that like and i see this you know you see it in, in schools anytime you know clicks is a, a cl- clicks are a thing right so it, you, you see it like if yeah you know the classroom culture or that click culture is um food obsessed and diet obsessed you know it, it's just a it's one of the greatest i think uh, factors to determining like if they're going to end up having an eating disorder or just be super body conscious yeah yeah um i'm really upset that we're running out of time this is such a good conversation if each of us could go around and share what um <clears throat> we want the listeners to take away from today well i guess i'll just talk from like a nutrition standpoint i think it's so important that like people are educated and then they understand that um, skinny doesn't mean healthy and that like there's a lot more to health than your size and so like we can't so we can't hide behind this like oh I want to be skinny because I want to be healthy I think that one of the ways we can like start change would be like just how we raise our kids and like teaching everyone just teaching the future generation to like value more than the outer appearance um you want to do things at the end of the day that will empower yourself. I want to do things that will empower me. Um, I want to put up pictures of myself, not because I want things to succeed. I want to put them up because I enjoy the picture for whatever reason. At the end of the day, when you're putting up stuff, I cannot be dictated by other people's responses to it because everyone will always have their say and everyone will always want to make an opinion about whether or not they think you're authentic or this or that, or I I can just know what's in my own heart and mind. And at the end of the day, that's going to be the thing that drives me. Um, I think the, the biggest takeaway you could take is everybody can influence in a small capacity, right? And, and it's reminding yourself and recentering yourself. And it's okay if you indulge uh, a little and, and fall into the trap of like, you know, social media and wanting to look good. And I think it's just reminding yourself, take a step back and, and do what feels right. Trust your gut. And I, that's what I teach my middle schoolers at a very young age. If it doesn't feel right for you to put six filters, then don't do it, right? If you know, and, and it goes back to this inner feeling. And, and I genuinely believe that. So anytime you're posting something on social media or feel like you're being influenced by social media, trust that inner feeling you have and listen to it. That's kind of the big takeaway I tell my students because we're not going to be there for everybody all the time. You're going to have vulnerable and weak moments where you want to listen to social media. You want to fall into the lap of social media and, and kind of follow the trends. And just listening to your inner um, self is important for me. You know, this meeting was about two hours long, talking about an extremely complicated topic. Um, there was a lot to unpack, and there was no way that we were going to be able to really... Um, fix anything uh, because it's such a such a big problem but I really want people to understand the degree to which this notion of women being disproportionately pressured to pay attention to their appearance has infiltrated our minds it goes beyond the surface level factors of is she pretty and what is she wearing 
And it goes into things like what job offers she gets, worrying about if she received an opportunity based off of merit or if it had to do with her appearance, people noticing and being more reactive to women not smiling than men, friendships being formed based on what people like to look at. It's so deeply ingrained within us and the way we function. I wish we could talk about women outside of the context of their physical appearance. I wish we could have talked about other qualities that women have, their personalities, attributes, talents, passions, interests. Another thing I want people to take away from this conversation is, yeah, we're trying to unpack, understand, and perhaps undo thousands and thousands of years of psychological grooming, but we can still move towards having different attitudes towards women's value. It's a huge undertaking, but if we walk away from this conversation more cognizant of the situation and more able to identify manifestations of this discrepancy between men and women, I think that's a massive step in the right direction. To that note, too, like I think what I want people to take away is very similar to what like Gidas mentioned. Um, to me, it's as with any societal ill, um, you know, as with anything that we're just kind of like trained consciously, subconsciously at every level, uh, train yourself or train like younger people. This is why teachers are so important. This is why people in the like health profession are so important. This is why people who influence people by any degree are so important. Um, if you are teaching other people to think deeply, to recognize, to acknowledge, um, then those impulses that come so naturally to us, they're more likely to think about as opposed to accept. I could not have said that better myself. Um, okay, so as with every episode, the last thing we're going to do together is read Surah Asr. So, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wal-Asr, inna al-insana lafi khusr, illa al-lazina amanu wa amilu al-salihati, wa tawasaw bil-haqqi, wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Sadaqallahu al-Azim. Salam, listeners! You just listened to another enlightening conversation at Cafe Tanwir. We hope you gained some perspective and would love to hear your thoughts on today's discussion. Continue the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our handles are Cafe Tenweed everywhere. If you want to increase this community discussion, tell your friends and family about Cafe Tenweed. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Let's grab coffee again soon. Bye.